Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Hi, this is Trina Parks. I'm Thumper from Diamonds Are Forever, and you are listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. and welcome back to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. Somebody give me a guitar riff. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> we don't need effects on this show. And joining me as veteran Bondophile co-host is my brother Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Jason, what's the most Bond-like thing that you have done since last recording? Well, you know, in honor of this film, I thought I would give it the old college try and ask Julie to come in and uh, help me find the stationery. <laughs> and how did that go? She said, find it, you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right. Buana, buana. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's ridiculous. Oh, well, that update. This episode is the 22nd of an ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rookie Agents. You probably know that because you clicked on the banner, but you know what? Let me tell you what happens here. On Rookie Agents, Jason and I are taking two friends from our lives who were not very familiar with the 007 universe. We are so closing in on the end here, people. Uh-huh. Through the entire James Bond series of films, one movie at a time, we're getting their newcomer's point of view. We're judging it harshly, especially Jason, Delvin, for your eyes only. Go back and listen, people. <laughs> and we're just getting their inputs on this film series that we love so much here at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So let's welcome our rookie agents to the show. We will start with Delvin. What's the most Bond-like thing that you've been up to since the last recording? As you guys know, I'm kind of into the whole jujitsu thing and always looking to hone my craft and get better. And I asked my instructor, Steve, you know, how I've been doing recently. And he said, ha ya pathetic. <laughs> Sorry to hear that, but yeah, at least it was no. amusing. Did <laughs> Steve have to be a media mogul? <laughs> Elderly no, gentleman? Just very good at jujitsu. You know, hurt my feelings, but it's okay. <laughs> Pat, you've been suspiciously silent through the intro. Welcome back, sir. Pat, a.k.a. DJ Christatos, got his name from this very franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the most Bond-like thing you've done since last recording? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. I think the most Bondian thing I've done lately is did a little bathroom work, got our shower fixed, so 
I've been oh. kind of walking around in a terry cloth onesie. <laughs> what color? Blue, baby blue. <laughs> baby blue. <laughs> hey, doing yeah. it right. Mm-hmm. I got a recommendation too. You got that shower going the way you want it. Mm-hmm. Have the missus put on her most beautiful evening gown and just go in, sit down, turn the shower on. You put on the tux. You sit right next to her. Let the water cascade over you. Helps if you've killed some guys in a stairwell. This is getting weird and specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that might happen. I might just sit in the shower by myself in my terry cloth onesie. <laughs> That's also an option. Yeah. Then look at the camera and go, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, enough of that. Let's move this along. Um, <laughs> in case you guys didn't know, we're planning on releasing the show monthly as a companion to the show that Van Allen Plexico and Alan Porter are doing. They are currently doing one 007 film per month as we build towards the release date of Bond 25, which we now know is called No Time to Die. And the show is just going to follow along with them. They're that academic sort of scene-by-scene, trivia-based show that everybody wants. And then there's our show where it's all about getting the rookies' opinions, having some fun, laughing, having a good time. So if you want to let your James Bond hair down, let that Dracula hair down. Mm-hmm. And join us yeah. here and have a little fun we're, with yeah. us. We're like the back of the head. You know, they're business in front. <laughs> we're the party, we're the party, party in, in the, the back. In the back. <laughs> We're like if James Bond had a mullet. Yeah, yeah, all part of a sexy mullet going on. (laughs) Let's get to today's film, which is Quantum of Solace. But before we get our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right in the action with no parachute in our segment called What Makes You Say That? I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. Says, speak over a piece. All right, this is how what makes you say that works. I give Jason a line from the film. He rewinds the film in his head and gives us the line that came before it. This is the most challenging thing you could possibly do. I don't know. That's hyperbole, but <laughs> it's pretty hard. It's uh, yeah, it's not the easiest thing. Plus, as Jason has stated, and I am on board with him, it gets harder and harder as the movies get newer and newer because we've seen them fewer and fewer times. <laughs> so I'm trying to lob some semi softballs in here for Jason. You guys can giggle at that if you want. <laughs> I'll save my giggles for nuggets tucked away, but <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I got two for you tonight. All right, Limber all right, on, get ready. Let's have them. Here we go. Here's your first one. I've heard that before. Hmm. I'm stumped on this one. I... Rookies, any help? I could try it with a better accent, more feminine, authoritarian accent. Wink. <laughs> I kind of got the sense that it's him. It is him. I've heard that before. That wasn't bad. Sounds a little bit like C3PO there at the end. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a little robotic. <laughs> Man, I don't know. You got me. All right. I know these get tougher as the movies get more recent. The line before it was, yes, ma'am, I'll do my best. Ah, okay. Yeah. You know what? I think you're going to have a comeback in round two. All right? I hope so. Come back. Gloves on. Here we go. The line is, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Man, I'm lost again. Oh, know. man. We haven't had a night like this since Moonraker, boys. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-oh. I, no, I mean, this is worse than Moonraker. I don't even know what scene is from. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. That's Bond. Mm-hmm. All right. That's Bond himself saying, I'm sure they do. And he's being kind of a jackass to our main villain. Oh, I mean. oh, yeah. My friends call me Dominic. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Needed some help there. Yeah. These are these are harder for me, yeah. man. I, I'm with you. This one, I probably only watched this one maybe four times. And then it's like it's twice. Same for me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe four. I've seen Skyfall probably a dozen, so I probably would do better at Skyfall, but I don't have to play the game. You do. So, <laughs> fair enough, though, Jason. You gave a valiant effort. <clears throat> Nobody's mad at you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a quick mission brief on Quantum Solace? All righty. 
It'd be a pretty cold bastard who didn't want revenge for the death of someone he loved. I don't think the dead care about vengeance. This man and I have some unfinished business. The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. What the hell is this organization, Bond? How can they be everywhere and we know nothing about them? This is the world's most precious resource. We need to control as much of it as we can. Name check, Dominic Green. He's a person of extreme interest. We've already begun destabilizing the government. You know who Green is and you want to put us in bed with him. Yeah, you're right. We should just deal with nice people. Get in. All right. Careful with this one, Mr. Bond. She won't go to bed with you unless you give her something she really wants. I think someone wants to kill you. You two do make a charming couple, though. You're both, what's the expression? Damaged goods. Seems we're both using green to get to somewhere. You lost someone? I did. You catch her already, did it? No. Not yet. Tell me when you do. I'd like to know how it feels. We need you to get rid of him. When you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. Right now, I think you're the only person I can trust. James, move your ass. I wish I could set you free. But you breathe and it's in there. Quantum of Solace pretty much picks up where Casino Royale left off, with James Bond absconding with the hobbled Mr. White. After a harrowing car chase slash pre-title sequence, Bond and M settle in to question Mr. White for some good old-fashioned enhanced interrogation techniques. Before they can get the goods, however, they are betrayed by a mole in the organization that rescues White and nearly kills M. Realizing that MI6 is compromised, M dispatches Bond to follow the clues to Haiti, where he unravels a fiendish plot by a corporate environmentalist to monopolize the Bolivian water supply and to install a ruthless general as the head of a puppet government. Worst of all, Bond's own government is involved and he is set up for murder and disavowed. What does he do? He goes rogue! (laughs) What?! Yes! Yes! <laughs> Daniel Craig goes rogue! Can you believe no. it? The hell you say. Teaming up with a former ally that he did dirty and a beautiful former Peruvian agent bent on revenge, Bond takes the fight to Green and his henchmen. Realizing that Green and his organization were responsible for the death of Vesper only makes 007 more determined to use that license to kill. Brutal fist fights, a high-octane boat chase, a thrilling aerial sequence, and an explosive finale in the Atacama Desert are only some of the highlights of Daniel Craig's second appearance as Bond. 007 is clearly back, or in his own words, he never left. If you'd have used that line, I would have done okay. Just saying, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) It's only one I memorized. (laughs) 
Aside from Marky Daniel Craig's second foray as James Bond, Quantum of Solace introduced director Mark Foster to the list of those who have helmed a Bond movie. Quantum was another financial success for the franchise, raking in $168 million in the U.S. and $586 million worldwide. Critically, this movie is kind of a mixed bag with its rating near the bottom of the list for many 007 fans. The cast included Daniel Craig as James Bond, Olga Kurilenko as Camille, Matthew Amalric, and I don't know if I said that right at all, but it's best I got, Dominic Green, Giancarlo Giannini as Renee Mathis, Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, and Judy Dench as M. And that's back to you, Jared. Thank you for that, Agent Jason. Now let's find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in our segment called Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? We're going to break this movie into a few pieces, get the insights of our rookie agents, and then Agent Jason's going to give us his overall insights and bomb bombs of trivia, and then he'll lead the boys into their scoring round to find out what they are going to score this film. We're going to break it into the following sections. We're going to have the pre-title sequence. We're going to talk about the song in the opening credits. We're going to do Agent Jared's Choice, where I pick something I think can stand out from the film, and then their overall opinion. So that's what's coming your way, and we're about to get into it. And gentlemen, I have, I'm going to put something out there right from the beginning. Jason mentioned this earlier. This is at the bottom of the list of a lot of Bond fans. This is my last place film. Oh. Yes. I'm going to clear the decks on this right away. You guys can feel free to bring it up in your chat, whether you're going to or not. I just want to get this out there. We don't do a lot of negativity on the show. This is my bottom film just because I just think the action is filmed terribly. It's too scattershot. I can't follow what's going on. I feel like I get a headache every time I try to watch it. Having said that, I'm really glad that we've taken this journey together because if you'd asked me two months ago what I thought of Quantum Solace, I'd been like, eh, no thank you. I actually enjoyed watching it this time. I think once my brain was set to kind of filter that out, it's a good story with some good performances. So I just want to get that out of the way early that I enjoy this mission with you guys. It has put a bright spot on even what I consider the dark parts of the Bond franchise. And with that being said, let's move on. Uh, can I jump on that just real quick? I knew you would. Yeah. Well, it was near the bottom of the list for me, too. And I think we talked a little bit about this with Casino Royale, which I think we all kind of scored a lot higher than you. And we talked about it. And I think a lot of it is like where we were. And you were in a tough spot, kind of Mm -hmm. coming out of a tough spot, Mm -hmm. you know, in your life. And this movie came out when I was getting divorced or I was in the middle of my separation. And I think that that tainted it a lot for me, too, because I haven't really watched it for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, as demonstrated by my inability, <laughs> makes you say that. But I felt the same way when I watched it this time in the place I am now in my life. I was like, this isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it won't still be my last slot, but I won't look at it with an evil eye. I do love all of these movies. Me too. That, Me that's, too. That's the end of that story. I love people don't like Die Another Day. I like Die Another Day. People don't like, you know, Quantum. I've discovered I actually like this film, and I'm happy that, that we've done this. But, you know, enough of, enough from hearing from us old agents. Let's get to these rookie agents. <laughs> uh-huh. let's jump into the pre-title sequence. It was a little bit different this time, and uh, I don't know. Let's pack. Hello. <laughs> pre-title sequence. Thoughts, go. Uh, pre-title sequence. I thought it was a decent car chase. Uh, I do agree with you, though, on the... The shaky camera, the, you know. Mm-hmm. Rapid cuts. Yeah. yeah. What, however it does. So you're trying to piece the action together. And it was like, oh, 
it was okay. But it was interesting, though, because of the story of it. And the opening title, I think it just goes into it right away. Uh, it opens up and just you got some, you know, flash, 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 and then and all mm-hmm. this going on. I really like that. And then right at the end, when you find out, you know, after that car is just getting beat to hell, man, that, you know, and he's still driving that thing, even with the door off and all that going on. Then he, he opens up the trunk and Mr. White's in there like, oh, my God. <laughs> Well, they've got people everywhere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Including your trunk, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of like that. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. You know, this is uh, right where we just kind of left off. So I kind of, in my mind, piece things together at, mm-hmm. at how we got Mr. White again. And there we go. And we're off on the race again. Almost literally. Mm-hmm. Delvin, use You're those observational on. skills and tell me what was missing from that opening pre-tell sequence. Oh, Oh, so you're giving me a little bit of trivia. I'm just throwing a little something. I just know you've got a keen eye for these kind of things. You say you don't pay attention, but I bet you noticed. Sure, because they did it at the end of the movie. You got that right. I I was going to say, I was going to, yeah. Yeah. No, got to be at the start. I could see mixing a little thing, a few things up. Maybe you want your martini stirred, not shaking for some reason. If you're the new (laughs) Bond, just like Roger Moore wanted to be the one smoking the cigars. And I got it. No, you got to put the walk in the shooting at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting how they bookended. Those two movies are like the two that are like direct sequels. Okay. So I thought it was neat how the gun barrel bookended beginning and end. Hmm. But I'm Hmm. with you, though, Delvin, that I, I, I got to have it at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of made sense at the end, though, too, because he's like, you know, I was always here or whatever, because, you know, he went, as Jason said, he went rogue. <laughs> and so then M's like, you know, I want you back. I've never left. And then, he, you know, you get the gun barrel. So, so it's kind of like a. I'm back. The cool, yeah, the cool, yeah. sexy ending. Yeah. I got it, but it's not an ending because yeah. it's. It, Freaking Vaughn. Yeah. Mm. So I'm at least a traditionalist that way. A traditional rookie agent that, yeah, they should have it at the beginning. I like it at the beginning. I could personally that easily. Anyway, other thoughts, Delvin. I didn't mean to just kind of lead you to one spot. Oh, no, that's fine. It was about as cut and dry of a beginning scene as you want to see. You start off the action immediately. And the one thing that happens when it comes to Bond movies is you don't know whether or not the pre-credit scene is going to tie into the movie or whether mm. it's going to be just that cool aside thing before they jump into the main plot of the movie. And as you saw right at the end of the pre-credit, you go, oh, nope, this is right where the action left off from the end of Casino Royale. So off we go. Absolutely. Any final thoughts before I hand the reins over to Jason to our next segment? Oh, yeah. Just one small joke. I'm going to speak to this a little bit later. So uh, it's good that I throw this small joke in here now. When he was going through the car chase and one of the cars that he successfully outmaneuvered rolled down the hill, I'm like, what? The car didn't explode? <laughs> Isn't that what happens in Bond? The car rolled down the hill and just went like, the bus? <laughs> you just like on the seat of your seat? All right. <laughs> just, but no, none of that happened because for better or for worse, this is not that Bond anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it at that. Yes. And, you know, I'm going to pick up that point. That's one of the things I don't like about Quantum Stalls. We talk about quick cut action, jumbly, just taking you back to the just a few years ago to when that happened. The hot spy franchise was born and Bourne was doing that. And we've said this on previous episodes. When James Bond follows the trends, that's when you get let down. They followed the Fast and Furious trend and die another day. They followed the Jason Bourne formula in this film. Both of those films are at a lot of Bond fans bottom of their list. So just take from it what you will. Mm-hmm. 
Bond sets the trends. He doesn't follow them. You got that right. Sounds like we're done with this round. So, Jason, what you got? Well, let's get the fresh take from the rookies on the theme song and the opening credits. We'll switch it up and we'll let Delvin go first this time. What did you think of the theme song and the opening credits, Delvin? So the opening credits were simple, just like the opening. It began and ended with the bullet that Bond shot. And that was a little bit of a throwback. I kind of liked the bullet and the simplicity of the opening credits. So nothing huge to say about that other than I liked that it was simple. It didn't have to be huge and complex. So that was good. The song. So I want to say good things first. Mm -hmm. The song, that opening, it matched the movie. That was cool because, you know, the car opens and you see Mr. White or the trunk opens, see Mr. White and it goes, and that's, that was cool. I liked that. And I liked that part of the song because it just feels really out there. And then when you take that, it's Jack White who mm-hmm. plays the guitar and it starts with one of his guitar licks. And then Alicia Keys plays the piano. So the piano was prominently displayed too. And it sounds really, really, really good. But the song continues. <laughs> Here comes the twist, I think. It feels like when a smart kid, or in this case, two smart kids do a book report and they didn't study for it. They started out hot, and then where they started losing me, between, like, the lyrics itself was when they just, oh, 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 you know, oh, oh, I was waiting for you to say it, Delvin. Yeah, I was right there with you. I mean, they just, it's like they ran that. out of material on the song, and what lost me on it was Alicia Keys' Shoot em Up, Bang, Bang. 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 Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, you got to repeat a lyric yeah, it was, from another. So started off great and just tail spun right into the ground for me. That's me. Maybe Pat has a different opinion on it. Um, no, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you're really kind of spot on there. Even on the credit scene. You're right. It was just kind of, it's all right. Yeah. It wasn't nothing special. And it was just very low key as in Alicia Keys, but it was all right. I don't even know who Jack White is. He, I I don't know. He's from um, the White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. I may have heard it, but I don't know. It's a, I'm not up on these new kids song these days or what. It's not even quite new anymore, but they listen to White Stripes in Iraq. He was a really, really hot thing. Not like my hot thing. (laughs) (laughs) We got one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, but. Well, I don't know. I I, I don't want to riff okay. too badly on what I, I do or do not like yeah. about Jack White. So. Okay. Well, and, well, like I said, I don't know anything about him. I'm like, well, who's this and who's this guy? And, oh, I kind of am like, oh, that's Elisa Keys. Okay, I know her. But, you know, another way to die. And then, like you said, when she started singing that bang, bang, shoot him up, bang, bang, I'm, I'm going like they're going back to, you know, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, bang, bang. And I'm like. Why are you taking another, you know, that lyric from that? And it was just like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. They just ran out of material, it sounded like. It, it's, yeah. it's like, I don't know, maybe the Bond franchise reached out to them with three days left. <laughs> 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 or, or maybe the Bond franchise told them and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. And then they're like, oh, crap, we got to do this Bond song because <laughs> Alicia was off doing her thing and Jack White was off doing his 18 different bands. I don't know. 
Yeah, he's oh. off there with the racking tours. And the dead weather. See, I know yeah. trivia and stuff yeah. about it, but like I'm personally not a fan. I'm I'm just not a fan of his. The beat was, you know, it wasn't that bad. It would no that I also wonder if it would have been better just to do like um instrumental. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like Under Majesty's mm-hmm. Secret Service and just do that instrumental with the guitar and the piano. I think that Yeah, would've... that would be kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean, and then maybe even just throw in like a small chorus. I think that would have been great because I mm-hmm. love that instrumental. It started out so great. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it, it had it, its good points, but the bad points were when they started singing because Jack White can't sing. And Alicia Keys, she's okay, but I don't really need to hear her runs in the middle of a Bond song. What? <laughs> All right. About it enough. I'm going to take these reins and I'm going to pass them to you, Pat. And you know what to do. All right. Well, let's go ahead and figure out what we're going to rate the song. Again, the song is Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys. So I'll start with Jason. One through seven. What are you going to rate this? I agree with Delvin. The instrumental is that part of it is outstanding. The vocals nuts, so bueno. Four. I'll give it a four. Okay. Jared. For a fresher take on this, I'm gonna agree with Delvin. The instrumental is outstanding. The vocals no bueno. Four. I'm going to give it a four. <laughs> oh, that's that's really a fresh take on that. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Is anybody yeah. else here on Echo? <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. I really like the instrumental part when they start you know, riffing and freestyling like we talked about. It's just kind of, okay. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, every podcast that. we do from now on, when I run out of things to say, I'm going to default to, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Delvin, what are you going to rate it? In my notes, I have this written as a two. Ooh. I'm going to bump it up to a three because the instrumental, it is really good. That is in part due to Jack White and Alicia Keys because of that guitar and the piano. So I'm going to raise that up to a three. I'm not crazy about the song at all with that beginning and instrumentals were really good. What do you got, Pat? I am going to agree with you as well on a three. This is the first time I've ever heard it. I've never heard this song before. Hearing it during that whole credit sequence is the first time. And I agree. If it was just the instrumental, I would have liked it because it would have been simple and it would have really went well with the credits then. I agree. Uh, with, yeah, with the, with the credits opening sequence there too, I think. All right. With those ratings of the song out of the way, I'm going to pass it on over back to Jared. All right. Well, we're going to get in this and talk about Jared's choice. And boys, it's going to be a rough one tonight. Because Jared's Choice segment is all about repeat Felixes. There's been two. You must choose tonight. Who oh, you man. Repeat Felixes, and they're two of the best Felixes that we've ever seen. So you're saying Felix isn't going to show up in the other two movies? Off the top of my head, Pat, honestly, I don't think Felix is going to show up in the next two, but he's slated to be in, in No Time to Die. Okay. I just and wondered. it is Jeffrey Wright again. Hmm. So Jeffrey Wright will be the first three. Repeat. So you guys know who they are. David Hedison. From Live and Let Die, and more importantly, License to Kill. I'll see you in hell! <laughs> or Jeffrey Wright with his much more low-key, very suave and sophisticated so brother from Langley. <laughs> <laughs> They're both good. I'm forcing you to choose tonight. Mm. Delvin? <laughs> That's, it's a tough one. <laughs> Ooh. 
Um, Jeffrey Wright. And man, that's tough though, because I'm flat out hashtag for the culture here. Um, (laughs) But also I do enjoy Jeffrey Wright's take on it. And he was most certainly a bright spot in this movie, but man, that was tough because Hedison, I mean, that see you in hell line. That's from a movie. I rated a seven and I'm not going to rate this movie a seven. I'll give you that much. Mm -hmm. So that was, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. I'm going to jump in before Patty even gets to respond. I think honestly, Jeffrey Wright is probably a superior actor, but Hedison, I mean, he gets that limelight and license to kill and he owns it. He's one of the things you remember Mm. uh, about it. So uh, anyway, Pat, tough choices have to be made. Well, Jared, I think my answer is going to be. (laughs) And back to you, Jared. That's that's what you're going with. <laughs> no, I you know I'm going to agree. I like the newer lighter. Oh, you're going Jeffrey Wright. Mm-hmm. You guys know where my loyalties lie. I, I can't I, turn on on David. It's hard. I like him as well too. But you have to look at it as he's a little more lighthearted for those mm-hmm. little more right. lighthearted Bond right. era, and you're this right. one's a little more grittier. You know, the minute I seen him, I was like, oh yeah, I, you know, this guy's cool in here. This is going to be smooth. Smooth up Got that right. Jason, you might as well weigh in, even though you're not a rookie. I have to say, I have to go with Jeffrey Wright as well. Oh, man. I'm the I'm the only holdout for David. Yeah, I get what you're saying with David, and you're absolutely right with License to Kill. I mean, he's kind of the central, that's what the plot revolves around, is, is his character. So, and mad respect to David Hedison, but I'll tell you what I really loved about Jeffrey Wright's character, particularly in this movie, is there are two scenes. Mm -hmm. And I love how he plays like he's caught in the middle and he's trying to figure a way out. And twice he's asked a question that he has to be very careful how he answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm tracking. The first one is, do you know who this is? They show. (laughs) And what does he say? Mm -hmm. He looks at it. He looks directly at the bad guy and goes, sorry. And it's interpreted as, sorry, I can't help you. But what he's actually saying is, sorry, you're screwed. You're in big, big (laughs) trouble. trouble. And then the second Mm -hmm. time is when he gives the information to Bond and lets Bond know he only has a few seconds to escape and Bond gets away. Beam asks him, what did you tell him? And what does he say? Only what we talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, interpreted by him is only what we agreed to tell him. But he's saying everything we talked about. <laughs> I told that fool. And I just thought both Good of them points, were man. I never just... really thought about it in that light. But that's, yeah, I like that. They had a wonderful back and forth, particularly in that bar mm-hmm. where Bond was trying to come at Amer- like America, basically, and with Felix. And then Felix came back and was like, oh, don't act like Britain's yeah. innocent in this either. <laughs> like, who do you think we learned this from? And just, oh, they had that great hey. back and forth. Yeah, when he says, uh, oh, you guys will just get in bed with anybody, even you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his deliveries are just really great. (laughs) I know we're not discussing this, but I got to stand up for being real quick. Yeah, we should only do business with nice people. (laughs) (laughs) 
Can I go ahead and, and we'll get into the movie, but since we're already talking about, you know, those two, Beam, he's the guy from Stranger Things, right? Yeah, I was wondering if he was going to pick up yeah. on that. I'm like looking at him like, okay, I know this guy. Yeah. And then when he started talking a little bit, I'm like, okay, that's the guy from Stranger Things. So I watched the movie with the lovely Miranda and she picked that out immediately because she's a big Stranger Things fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize it until I watched it for this show. It's like, oh, it's a, uh, it's the Stranger Things guy. <laughs> yeah. New. It was this viewing where I noticed it too, which tells me I haven't watched this movie since season one of Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been, it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was kind of going to be like, who are those other two guys? The two bad guys. Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. Yes. I thought it was kind of kind of be like that. He was going to play like one of those kind of a, that kind of a character kind of guy. Would have been interesting to see. I think he could pull something like that off. All right. Let's do highs and lows. Do your thing. All right. Let's just pass it to Delvin. Let's, uh, let's hear your thoughts. Give me a higher or low, Delvin. We can start from the beginning of the movie. The first interaction with M and Bond, I liked that scene because both of them knew he was lying. When, he was lying. when she was asking about how was he, and he went on this whole, Vesper meant nothing to me, mumble, mumble. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, whatever, James. Both of them knew he was lying in that scene. That's a part of the relationship they have. It's an interesting one that they've set up, and I've enjoyed it. It's kind of almost a mother-son relationship, it feels like, sometimes. They even joked about that in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's where, true. Where he was talking with Camille, and Camille thought he was talking about his mom. He's like, well, no, she she thinks that she is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did like that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Pat? What Do you have a high or low you care to share with us? Um, you know, I don't know if this is a low, but I'll just kind of start there is, you know, I missed Money Penny. We don't got no cue at all either. So I was well, kind of looking. I'll tell you, you can look forward to some Money Penny. Yeah. Jason will <laughs> let you know what he thinks about Q. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should save it for the next bit. Yeah, save it. <laughs> but Jason has thoughts. I was, I was I, hoping. I ain't that, down with hipster Q. I'll just put it that way. I was hoping we'd see Money Penny, but we didn't. Gary or. Right, either or, you know, it'd be kind of cool to see a Gary Penny, you know. We kind of had that in Casino, because the guy working in the front office. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Kind of sitting in that seat. Yeah, yeah you mean you maybe have that with M's helper guy, too. Mm-hmm. The one that didn't betray her. Yes. Yeah, not Mitch. <laughs> Was it Mitch? Yeah, Mitch, yeah. you saw Mitch. Mitch. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all like, hey, Mitch, hey, Mitch, it's Mitch. Hey, you know, it's Mitch, Mitch, everyone. Hey, it's Mitch. Poker night tomorrow night, Mitch. Yeah. You, you know, Bond walks in, he says hi to him right away. Hey, Mitch. I'm like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Definitely not a traitor, buddy. <laughs> As Delvin said in that scene, though, too, I like Bond just kind of walks in, pours himself a drink, starts drinking. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a rough day at the, up yeah. to that point, man. It was only starting. He didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Just getting started. <laughs> All right. What about you, Delvin? Any other highs or lows? We are just getting started. That first chase scene. Oh, goodness. Bond was after the agent, Mitchell. Oh, on foot, you mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that running scene. He took so many bumps in that scene where it's like, ow, ow, yeah. ow. <laughs> it's good guy. But as Pat said, he was already liquored up, so he was feeling no pain. No, he was feeling some pain. He had no choice. I mean, every bump he took just looked like it hurt. And they made mention to 
how he hadn't been sleeping. They mentioned that a couple of times during the movie, and this was the first time that they mentioned it. So this guy is running off of just pure adrenaline, probably not even fully registering everything that he's putting his body through at that time. And it spoke to the tone of the movie. I'll, I'll wait for my next Tylo to talk about what I feel about the tone of the movie. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Pat, jump aboard. What else you got? I like some of the little bit tech that was in there when they went to the briefing room or whatever uh yeah, i like that okay, digital cool. table and i was like oh man that's really cool i want one i want one too i'm like <laughs> put that on my christmas list man exclusively for smut yes oh, <laughs> you got me you got me <laughs> got be funny if him walks in and they got all, all this digital smut on there like oh, crap. We spent six million pounds. <laughs> but look at the clarity. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I kind of thought that was pretty cool. You know, I was expecting to see some, you know, cooler, you know, it's the newer age. Let's see some really cool, you know, spy tech and all that. I want to jump in with a bit of a little something, something for that. One of the best things that came out of Quantum of Solace, this movie, was Quantum of Solace, the video game. It's really yes. quite good. It's a fun well, game to play. But Quantum of Solace video game, like a lot of it is actually Casino Royale. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is Casino. But where I'm going with this is all the menu screens and stuff that you use in the game are all done in that style. The, oh, that exact cool. style that you see on the table. So I love the continuity carryover. Yeah. That is cool. I also like just like some of the field gadgets, like how he used gave just the card to that guy and as the guy checked the number on the card he locked in onto his cell phone so he could trace him mm-hmm. even though we didn't have q we still had some pretty cool gadgets in this game. yeah bond was like i spiked him <laughs> <laughs> well let's keep it moving along then all right pat likes gadgets delvin what do you got there's an early line after can't even oh mr slate bond kills him m asks about it and he says he was a dead end but uh, it's funny that you you chuckle, Jared. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny, mm. <laughs> and mm. that kind of it struck me a little bit. There's something about this movie in particular, and I'm trying to remember at the time. I remember Casino Royale was supposed to be a soft reboot of sorts for Bond, and they're doing the prequel thing, but it was kind of a reboot because they didn't use. The old-timey technology from the 60s, they used up-to-date current technology as a part of this reboot. So kind of a reboot retcon slash thing. And it's interesting that Daniel Craig, while, I mean, he is so physical and seeing some of the stunts that he got into were terrific and amazing and violent and all that. But it seemed the conscious choice that they didn't let him really be funny or have any humor or anything. And it's interesting because Roger Moore, I would laugh at some of the action scenes, but sometimes his bond was charming. And same thing uh, with maybe not so much um, Dalton, but Brosnan, certainly, where he had kind of a very good mix of both two athletic, full of action, full of the guns but also charming. This Bond is not charming. Something about him seems a little joyless, and it makes me a little sad. I mean, the movie is called Quantum of Solace. And by the way, I had to look up what quantum meant because I honestly didn't know what the heck that meant. And when I found out that quantum means like the smallest degree Mm -hmm. and the smallest degree of solace 
okay, it does fit the movie, but it, it was the movie was a little joyless. And that first quote that I mentioned about him just saying he was a dead end, that kind of brought it into the forefront. I concur. I think the only truly charming thing he did all was the stationary line with Miss Fields. Yeah. That, that was like the only kind of fun, flirty thing. And she kind of hated herself afterwards. That was too easy. The movie needed that. There were, there were actually a couple of things in that scene that I was really grateful for as far as Bond. He flat out was like, nope, I'm not staying in this hovel. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, if, if you're going to make me freaking prisoner, then I'm going to be prisoner in a, this nice hotel. <laughs> so so that, that, is that, was, that is very Bondian. And then he absolutely turned on the charm to where, you know, he was kind of like, yep, so we got this nice room. So <laughs> we got the night. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. I was grateful for those moments because that's what we've come to know and love about James Bond. That wasn't womanizing. It was just him being absolutely charming and being the James Bond that we've known at, for, at this point for decades. You know, I kept thinking, Whoever fixed him back up after the last movie, they must have really did some really good work. <laughs> he was a little tattered at the end of the last yeah. movie. Boy, yes. Certain parts of him were really yes. tattered. And, you know, and <laughs> it's still <laughs> usable. <laughs> Man, you can't stop no 007. That's the superpower right there. Mm-hmm. He's got his little hand pump as he's getting ready for Miss Fields. <laughs> 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 All right. So a little bit lacking in humor. I'm hearing from Delvin. Pat, what do you got? Well, I didn't take a lot of notes down for this movie because I was constantly kind of watching it and just keeping my eyes on it. I found it intriguing. The villain, eh, once you kind of figure out what he was kind of doing and what he was after, it was like, oh, well, I can see how that might be all right. But, you know, you're going to go after the water supply and then, yeah, that was, eh. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of fun. He's funny when he got to fighting, though. Hey, I I give him credit. He he didn't have a long play. He went went after Bond. Yeah. He had no skill, but his ferocity. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can hear it in when he hit him, too. It's it's like when you're a grown man and you have to calm down like a flailing (laughs) eight-year-old. It's still quite dangerous. You're like, you know, when I was looking up my Bond bonds, I didn't put it in there, but I thought it was kind of interesting because he, I'm going to butcher his name, Matteo Amalric. The guy who played Dominic Green, mm-hmm. he said, you know, he he went to the director and said, hey, man, can I get like a bleeding eye or a scar or something cool to make me menacing? Director said, no, man, you've got to work with what you got, basically, you know, use those crazy eyes, do whatever you got to do. And so when it got to the time when he had to fight Bond, he said, you know, he made the choice. It's like, I'm a guy that doesn't really have any skills, but I'm just going to be like it was when I was like in middle school and you get in that fight and you're just all raging, like you said, flailing arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he made that choice to do that. I thought it actually played pretty well. It did. It was, it, it was between He's more that, brainy kind of guy. Between that and Camille's fight, both of those fights, even though Camille's fight was much more personal, both of those fights were very intense. Very. Yeah, very visceral. Yes. Pat, I know you got more. No, you know, I really don't. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you this, Jason, I got people everywhere. 
<laughs> Lots of people say that. <laughs> Nobody actually asked. Mm-hmm. Flora say that. <laughs> that was a good line. See, you now all, all the actually are coming it. back to me. We should we, now let's do the <laughs> I think I could do better. Oh, all right, Delvin. Any uh, last pressing thoughts? I have a couple actually. All right, let's hear them. 57 minutes into the movie, I was watching and I, of course, stopped the note and I was like, I'll I'll read the note. TF, does this have to do with Spectre? There was at some point in the movie, they were talking about Bond and his feelings like it was Dawson's Creek and stuff. (laughs) And the opening scene of this movie, the like Casino Royale ended, he gunned down Mr. White and was like, all right. You're giving me this lead on the Spectre thing. And they're like, we're after Spectre. And about halfway through the movie, it was an hour, 46 minute movie. So halfway through the movie, it kind of lost its way. I, I didn't even know exactly what this had to do with Spectre as opposed to just this bad guy and this one piece of a puzzle. If the idea is to show that Spectre is a huge worldwide terrorist organization, and this is an example of their reach, sure. But that really didn't seem to me what Bond was after. It was, we have this entity that has taken over even parts of MI6, and this is a huge threat. How are we going to solve this? And halfway through the movie, it didn't really seem like they had done anything to solve it. They were doing stuff to stop this bad guy. They were dealing with James Bond's feelings, but they weren't really dealing with Spectre as a whole. They didn't actually mention Spectre in this film. They didn't name any names. No. Because in this one, they kept call they called it quantum. And I think, if I remember correctly, there were still some arguments over the, the legal rights, argument, the legal mm-hmm. arguments to the rights of Spectre. So, a bit of Bond history. So, Quantum of Solace is the actual title of a James Bond short story. Um, I'm sure Joseph Iliff has things to say. Yes, and I'll let Joseph <laughs> cover it in more detail. But I think what they did was they wanted to have a Spectre-like entity, but they couldn't legally call it Spectre, so they used the quantum piece as a surrogate. Mm. And so that's they're laying the seeds for Spectre, and then this dominant green character is a member of Spectre, and they're just now starting to infiltrate the organization, and they stop his particular plot, but you're going to see more of Spectre in the later films. Okay. Probably the one called Spectre. Spectre, yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. All right. You know, thankfully, there are a few tricks that uh, this rookie agent could still learn because I did not know that there were still legal issues going on with using the name Spectre at that point. I hear you on your point, though, Delvin, because at the end of Casino, when he shoots him, you know, and it's like, Bond, James Bond, and ba-da, ba-da, I had that feeling, too. I was like, we've gotten back to Spectre. Well, yeah. We came into this movie and it's like, Quantum? What, what happened to Spectre? <laughs> But I kind of like that, though, because they're playing this bigger game out, though, and keeping them a secret. And where are they all infiltrated mm-hmm. in? You know, even when he goes to get that one guy at the end, are you with the Canadian, whatever? You better go check yourselves because you guys got a leak, mm-hmm. you know, and you yeah, already they, they know it was well. something was going on in the American side already, uh, too. You yeah, know, when that's a good point, Pat. So I like that, that it's, there's something out there and it's how deep are they embedded in these different areas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the dynamic between M and Bond. They, to me, they overplayed the dynamic of M. 
I don't know if I can trust you, Bond. <laughs> you sure do let him do a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, I think she uses that, though, to move push him forward. Well, she uses it to further her agenda, I guess, but it was a plot point that they mm-hmm. used. And it was a little bit overdrawn because even though Emma's a spectacular character and not going to be smart, the dame. Um, no, never. Never. But... What I kind of just started rolling my eyes about was just that trust factor and her basically like, oh, I don't know if I can trust you. Even though you have a license to kill, do you have to kill everybody? He has a license to kill. So if you trust him and you have him out in the field, you got to kind of trust the dude to do what he has to do. If you really thought that he was that bloodthirsty, you would rein him in. You wouldn't send Agent Fields after him. You would send a whole freaking team after him, bring him in immediately. But but you didn't. She knows what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. (laughs) And so the, the back and forth got a little bit, I don't know, overdrawn to me. That said, that scene in the elevator was Captain America-esque. Yes, it was. That was really good. <laughs> good again, I, and I, America. Yeah, that's a good point, too. But I think this also goes back to Jared's original point with the Bourne movies, where it's like, you know, what's Bourne doing? Can we trust him? We need to stop him. All that tension and drama. I think they tried to incorporate that into mm. the story. And I agree with you, Delvin. I don't think it works, at least not fully. I didn't think it was a backfire, but I just think that it was very obvious that a woman as powerful as M is not going to tolerate insubordination. She's not. And so she put Bond out in the the field and she trusts him enough to get the job done and know that that's the agenda that he's advancing. If she had any doubts about that, he wouldn't be out in the field. Oh, fair point. Fair, fair point. That's fair. I'm just going to push one question because we haven't touched on it. And, and I kind of wanted to. What are your thoughts about the return of Renee Mathis? Did you guys like that? Were you surprised to see him again? What were your thoughts? My thoughts on that is I liked it. Again, I like this kind of story building between the first casino and this one so to see some returning characters like him and lighter again was really cool how he tried to redeem himself a little bit in bond's eyes and bond actually knew that he could trust him as well too you know when he's going rogue he only got to find some people that he can trust so i really like that sad to, i was kind of sad to see him die i, I was really he, sad to see him die I yeah liked yeah I, I really liked it jared what's your thoughts I got to jump in here because this... I was kind of keying you up for this. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. (laughs) Jason knows this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise. I don't know if I got a dark side or whatever it is, but I like it when we get to see the downside of being a secret agent, which happens so rarely. It's so glamorous. Bond rarely gets shot. Bond is always getting the girls. He's in the dinghy life raft at the end with the beautiful (laughs) Japanese chicken, like 80% of these movies. What I like is when we see the downside. We saw it in Die Another Day when he got captured and tortured with the scorpions. And in this one, we get to see this trusted friend get killed almost senselessly. And then basically Bond takes his money and puts him in a dumpster. And it's so grisly and shocking. But Bond's like, this is the life. It just smacks you in the face. It takes you out of that Roger Moore space and goes, man, sometimes the secret agent stuff ain't all it's cracked up to be. And I thought it was powerful as I'll get out. I thought the actor killed that scene. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. Uh, I adore that scene as dark as it is. I think it is a special moment in Bond history. It was touching, Jared. When you saw it, you knew there was going to be some setup. 
when even Bond's asking himself, why would they want me to open the trunk? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And just speaking overall, Felix Leiter's lucky because a lot of times recurring characters in movies like this, they only come back. They're going to mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. I thought that Mathis might die. And sure enough, when he took two bullets to the back, he was like, oh, no. But he, he went out. Man, the dumpster scene, of course, was grisly. And, and you're right. Bond said it. And, and it was very well said. It's like he wouldn't have minded me doing this because he knows the life. Yeah. Uh, but Mathis, basically, when he's dying and he just asked Bond, like, don't leave me or please stay with me. It's like, oh. And then he he picks him up and here, let me help you. Yeah, like, oh, 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 God. Better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was well done. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Forgive her. Forgive yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do want to say, as Jared mentioned with Bond, is I think these are a little more grittier and you. Craig is really beat up and you see a lot of scars and a lot of, you know, during the action and all that, he gets uh-huh. really scarred up. And I haven't really seen that a lot with the other bonds. No. Oh, yeah. Like the other bonds is just that immediate. If you think about it, I think, did they have the scene? I'm, I'm probably thinking a different movie because I know I've seen Craig so much where he's doing some down and dirty, grimy thing. And then like, you know, he's like jumping onto a train or something and he kind of gets up and like, Straightens up his cufflinks. Yeah, that's <laughs> the next movie. <laughs> that's the next movie. I haven't seen that yet in the movie, but that scene encapsulates what Pat's saying. They're kind of playing back to what Bond is, but like this Bond is this Bond is grimy. He is. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is down and dirty and getting into it. And that's that's very much more Dalton. Than- I can read Jared's mind right now. He's like, Timothy Dalton was grimy at the end of the license to kill. He did it first. He did it first. Very, very much Timothy Dalton is what I feel that Craig is channeling more than anything else. Because he, he's definitely down and dirty. Yeah. I think it's, you can see the changing of production and what they will allow on the screen now. You know what I mean? When before, you know, those earlier, they had to keep it at a certain rating, you know, and as people want to always push that envelope of the ratings, you know, how bloody can we get him? How you know, cut up? Things like that. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely see the changing of that throughout the films. Definitely getting more in vogue to have a beat up hero Mm-hmm. bloody you know like you yeah said. realistic i mean I look think, at john I mean, john wick they live to brutalize that poor guy <laughs> they do they really do well i think we've talked about this one all around the bend uh, great conversation fellas i think the only thing really to do is to pass these reins over to pat and let him do his thing well jason let's go ahead and get into double o player really there was just one player that i counted and that was fields i don't Correct. think he didn't really get with Camille at all, Mm-mm. but Mm-mm. there was trying to, but I think that was it. It was all the, business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's still a little recovering from. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's still getting over it. Just the one. Just the, Just one. the one. Back to you, Jared. Well, well done, agents. Now let's go ahead and have our veteran co-host, Mr. Agent Weasel's call. Weigh in on this one. Jason, what you got? You got bond bombs for us? Yeah, I've got uh, three bond bombs. The first one uh, we kind of already talked about a little bit, but uh, I'll expound on it somewhat. Jeffrey Wright's return role marked the first time the same actor played Felix Leiter in back-to-back roles. And it's only the second time the same actor played Leiter twice. Uh, The other, of course, was David Hedison, and we've already talked about that. Fact number two, that this is the first time since You Only Live Twice 
that the line, my name is Bond, James Bond is not used in the movie. And at one hour and 46 minutes, this is the shortest of the Eon production Bond films. I thought it was a fast watch. When I looked, because I had to pause it at one point to take notes and saw it's just an hour 46, I'm like, good grief. Sure. And I read somewhere, too, because this one was butting up against the writer's strike. So they ended up having to rush this one through. And that's part of the reason why it's made kind of as a sequel to Casino Royale or chapter mm. two, if you will. The airplane fight was cool. And I really like the ending. Those are two things we didn't get to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I like the airplane fight, and I thought the ending was well done and powerful. The airplane fight was pretty good. I've forgotten how good that was. I really yeah. enjoyed it uh, with this rewatch. Not so bad. Well, now that Jason has exposed his trivia nuggets to everyone. <laughs> tuck these bad boys away. <laughs> tuck those nuggets away. And Jason, get out the shaker. Get out the glasses. Let's find out what these ratings are going to be. All right. I have seven martini glasses for each of you. How many martinis are we going to give for this film? And as a reminder, if it's your first time listening to the show, seven martinis means you loved it. It shook your martini. Six, which I believe is the amount of martinis that Bond had on that plane, means that it was excellent. <laughs> Five is very good. Four martinis is good. Three is just okay. Two is not so good. And one means you hated it. It stirred your martini. So we'll start it with Delvin. Delvin, how many martinis will you give Quantum of Solace? So in a movie that was supposed to continue uncovering Spectre, it did. And it didn't. Mm -hmm. So, all right, little hit, little miss. I guess we get that Spectre has reach everywhere, but in a sense, the trail went cold kind of at the end of the movie, and the story wound up being a little bit confusing and a little bit disjointed to me. So I didn't think it was a bad watch, though. I didn't. And for an hour 46, that's not even enough time to get bored unless it was just really bad, which it was not. I give it a five out of seven. All right. Very good. All right, Pat, your turn. How many martinis? Well, we rate these on enjoyability, and I enjoyed watching this movie. I enjoyed watching Craig in Casino Royale, too. So having that continuation of the story happening again, right where we left off, was very good. So I am also going to give it a five. Kind of, you know, if musical genius Joe November was here, mm -hmm. I would probably bump it up closer, you know, another half point and go hmm. between very good and excellent because I'm kind of liking Craig. Wow. I'm not going to lie, boys. I kind of like Craig. <laughs> you ain't got to lie. <laughs> I ain't got to lie. <laughs> I like the Craig. Interesting. That's what makes right. the whole rookie agent thing fun, man. They got pretty decent scores here. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. I'd say they liked it a little bit better than you and I did, Jared. Why okay. was the movie so low rated just in general you guys gave your personal experience to it but why was it so low rated with the bond verse i think jared touched on it he's right whenever bond tries to mimic another franchise it loses something and i think that this film suffers from that and i also think that the writer's strike kind of hurt it i think it was gonna go in a more coherent direction it'd be more of a fleshed out film but they ran out of time for the writers to finish before the strike occurred so i think that is part of what you're assessing or you're feeling delvin as far as the disjointedness of the quantum slash specter storyline so i think it's really those two things that kind of weigh this one down a little bit Jared, do you have any other thoughts? No, that and I think a lot of people 
uh, are in my camp on the shaky cam, hard to follow action scenes. I still don't know exactly how that boat scene ended. Boats driving, hook something, <laughs> boat. She hooked something that I, I can't don't, figure out. I don't get it. I think a lot of people have problems with that. And yeah, just it's it's rushed nature. And it probably, even though I'm not the biggest casino fan, which is like, ooh, in the James Bond community, but a lot of people loved it. And they followed up with something that, that didn't meet the expectations. I could understand I don't, was it Van who mentioned it? Somebody mentioned it before. It's like, if you watch this film, like right after Casino, it's almost better if you watch Casino in this film. Yeah, which we've kind that. of done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we've watched them yeah. close together. Yeah, I've mentioned it. I thought it was much better on my second view. Yeah, I thought it was better this time around too, probably because I did watch them so close together. And that might have played into it too, Del. You know, people loved casino and then you had to wait was a two-year i think only a two-year jump on this one it was but you gotta imagine you're like waiting waiting you're like okay let's go get that casino feeling and you're like shaky cam and the story didn't you know what we never even mentioned was the opera scene. That's a really good scene. Yeah, we never <laughs> did the opera scene. The opera scene was really good. <laughs> well, and I think too, and this is just my personally, because when I watch Casino and you watch it from beginning to end, when I saw the end of Casino with him standing there looking baller in his suit with his MP5 or whatever it was that he he had in his hand and doing that Bond James Bond line, I was like, okay, now we got the Bond and mm-hmm. we're we're gonna take off and kick ass and then when you came back to quantum of solace it was back to i don't know if i can trust you you haven't slept and it's like ah, i thought we'd gotten past that i thought mm-hmm. you know That's so so for me it, it kind of started off with a leaving kind of a funny taste in my mouth good point jason i concur with that well thank you gentlemen and now it's time to crown this episode's double o award winner pat and delvin will do this by answering a series of trivia questions on quantum of solace delvin is our current champion he will go first well actually he'll get to choose if he wants to go first hey we'll get to that but before we do that let's take a quick break to thank our patreon sponsors i will hand it over to mr van allen plexico our network founder for that let him out of the trunk (laughs) (laughs) open up van (laughs) get out we have patrons everywhere (laughs) (laughs) all right white rocket entertainment We have to pause for just a second here to thank the fine folks who keep shows like this from White Rocket Entertainment on the air. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks and keep our programs coming. That includes all of the shows that White Rocket produces. Our great patrons as of now include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. And then there's Christopher Stewart, Clinton Stewart, Nikki B., William Morgan, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, A.U. Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrick, Blake Heron, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, 
And then there's David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Jeremy Minton, Ward M. Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph A. Miller, Mark Squire, plus Chris, there's Brant Rumble, the great surfer Chickify, and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or the Podbean page at secretpodcast.podbean.com. Awesome stuff there. Now, if you'd like to help us find the stationery, you too can help sponsor the show over at patreon.com. Just search keyword Plexico, P-L-E-X-I-C-O. You can give as little as $1 a month to help keep Agent Jason's travel expense account active. And like those other folks whose names you just heard, you'll get a shout out on every episode of all White Rocket Entertainment shows, including this one. As a Patreon, you'll get bonus material, behind the scenes information on all White Rocket endeavors, including our novels, comic books, and more. Jason. Okay, let's find out who this mission's trivia double O award winner is going to be so he can lord it over the other guy until the next episode. Agent Jared and I have each prepared three questions for a total of six. We'll take turns asking each of the contestants a question. You get it right, and that's one point. You get it wrong, your opponent has an opportunity for a steal. Most points get you the coveted double O award, a ticket to the Brigands Opera, and a bottle of Bolivian water with a pack of peppers. While supplies last, not available in all areas. Let's start the segment we like to call Agents Under Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Okay, Delvin, you're the reigning champion. Do you want to go first or second? Second. Pat, who's reading? I'm going to go with Jared. All right, so first Pat, then Delvin. I'm reading for Pat, so let's get going. Pat, here's your easy round question. Man, you're off to a good start here, Pat. During the opening car chase, where is Mr. White? Well, he's in the trunk, Jared. That is correct. That is incorrect. It is the boot. This is British. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm First teasing. place they'll look. Huh? Huh? Living Daylights <laughs> reference for you there. <laughs> All right, Delvin. What Bolivian resource is Mr. Green truly interested in controlling? Water. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. The water supply. Back to you, Pat. Mm. Medium round. After Bond leaves London at the beginning, he goes to intercept Mr. Slate. What country does he head to? Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Pat's weakest area is yeah. the locations. Yeah. Oh, man. Where did he go? Where did he go oh, now? Where did, Where did he, he go? go? <laughs> Italy. Oh, opportunity no. for a steal. Oh, that's me. Haiti. Oh. I, I hate it for you, Pat, but he's right. So, Delvin, for a solid lead, what is the name of Dominic Green's legitimate business front? Hmm. <laughs> I had trouble with this one, too. I'm not... It's the only one Jason missed when I sent him the list. Jeez, I'm going to have to say the only thing I wrote down, and that's the Tierra Project. Don't remember that at all. <laughs> Pat, you got a chance for a steal, my friend. Is it Eco Green? 
Oh, Max Lowe. You could have got back into the mix, man. You could have, uh, but you didn't. It's Green Planet. Green oh, Green Planet. close. So close. All right, Pat, let's go into the hard round. Bond kills Mr. Slate and takes over his identity. Aside from being paid to kill Camille, what is Slate's profession? Pastor on a blank slate. <laughs> a hitman. Well, I said aside from being paid to kill Camille, what's his profession? <laughs> he, he's, he's a hitman when, when he's not being a hitman. Yeah, exactly. Watch you out. should, watch, you should watch out. Yeah, watch out for it. <laughs> it's got the double hitman. Mm, Delvin's ready to sew this up. I can see it in his eyes. Has Pat officially surrendered? I said, I said he's a hitman. The hell out of here with that. Delvin. <laughs> Geologist. Geologist is correct. You oh, sewed yeah. up a win. And that's funny. His name is Mr. Slate, and he's a geologist. You know, it was a bit rocky, but we got no. <laughs> chipped away at it. <laughs> something, something igneous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this one is just for bragging. What country does the opera scene take place in? Pat's locations are Delvin's transportations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all look out of the United States to me. <laughs> Austria. Very good. Very good. Woo! All right, Pat, for a uh, four-point bonus to beat Delvin, <laughs> what is the, by far the best Bond location? The best I Bond got, location? That's easy. Jason knows. I just feel the like best. Pat's itching to say this answer. Oh, now I know. Czechoslovakia? That's, that's it. Correct. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with the four phantom points, that means you win, Pat. (laughs) It's about time. Congratulations to Delvin. Be sure to do the right proper thing and lord this victory over Pat until you meet again in the field next episode. There's only two more fields to meet in. Uh You want it. You keep it, old buddy. Now for our final segment of the show entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, our rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question they brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. It's not looking good for me and Jason. We have <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna go get my notebook. I wrote some stuff down this time. Well, let's get going with Return Fire. This never happened to the other fellow. Let's start with Pat so he can feel victorious in something. You get to go first tonight. What trivia question do you have for the Albrecht brothers tonight? All right, Jared. Mine's going to be pretty simple. What was the license plate number of Bond's vehicle in the beginning? Jason's got it. One, seven. I can't, I can't remember if it was three or two. Well, that's going to cost you. One, seven, three, GH3LD. Okay, then my guess is one, seven, two. two. GH3LD. GH3LD. <laughs> Which one of us is right? It's seven two. There we go. Woo! Winners. I. You know how long it took me to write that number down. The way that it is hard. As it, yeah, it's going so fast. I was like stopping it. I was trying to stop it. It's like, what is that? I know Pat's going to ask me this question, <laughs> and I fought with it all the way. And then at the very end, he just drives slowly into that thing. I was like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Delvin, softball us. It might be because I don't have many trivia questions that I wrote down. Who was the name of the agent who betrayed Bond and M, the MI6 agent? What was his name? Greg Mitchell. Mitchell. Wasn't it Mitchell? It is Mitchell. Mitchell. (laughs) We're champions, Jason, on a movie we (laughs) suck at. Thanks for giving us softballs, fellas. 
Yeah, I feel better after that stunning defeat that I had. And what makes you say that? <laughs> Jason beats himself up so hard. On he's done like 20 movies perfect. And he's like, oh, I missed this one. Oh, I knew this one was going to cost me. the ones you don't get that you remember. You don't remember the free throws you made. I know, yeah. Well, nicely done, guys. Agent Jared, what do we have in the eyes only mailbag this way? Well, thank you, Jason. What, no small talk? No chit-chat? Now, as a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, and trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com. And you know what? If you've been sitting on the fence thinking about this, you got two movies left, people. (laughs) So get those trivia challenges sent our way. Send your comments, and we'll put them on the show. Please send us an audio recording. And again, that's ohmspod at outlook.com. We'd like to keep them under five minutes because we've been getting more and more, which has been making that part of the show lengthy. If you did it like three minutes or less, we'd love you even more. But that's what we're going for. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review for the show. It means a lot to us. We like to hear from you. We like the feedback. It will help us in the search engine. It'll help find more of the Bond community to come to the show. Please give us a a rating. We prefer a five-star. We love the actual written comments. We'll read them on the show when we get them. Even if you don't like our show, but you like Van and Allen's show, then write a positive one for them, you know, and then just, you know, give us a pass. You know, whatever. (laughs) We just want some feedback from you guys, and we really appreciate it. We've done 22 shows for you guys. Give us some feedback. (laughs) We've made a-holes out of ourselves 22 times. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get to our regular feedback segments, and we've got a few of them tonight. We'll kick off tonight's mailbag with Agent I. We got to know more about this. Agent I! Hello, rookie agents. This is Agent I with the Fleming Connection for the 2008 James Bond film Quantum of Solace. The title of the movie comes from a short story Fleming wrote in the For Your Eyes Only collection. The short story Quantum of Solace is the Bond story most different from everything else written for Bond by Fleming or any other author. Bond is in the Bahamas, having just completed a mission, and is attending a dinner party held by the governor. He finds some of the other dinner guests, a married couple in particular, to be rather dull, and mentions to the governor that if he ever marries, he would marry an air hostess. After the party is over, the governor tells Bond a story about a civil servant who did exactly that, marry an air hostess. The marriage goes bad with affairs and neglect and psychological abuse, with the husband being particularly cruel to the wife. After the couple divorces, the husband never really recovers, but the wife rebuilds her life and marries a wealthy Canadian man, and Bond realizes that they were the couple attending the party that night. The short story is Fleming stepping out of his typical mode with almost no action or plot, but it is an interesting read. You can follow me on Twitter for more Bond knowledge at Seek Out Wisdom. This is Agent I, signing out. There you have it. Who's got thoughts? I, I like that story. I wouldn't mind also finding me an heir to the hostess as well, too. I think there's a lot of fruit pies and <laughs> no, no, air, air hostess, like, oh. a, like a stewardess, <laughs> oh, like a like a light hostess. I was for... thinking where you. I was thinking along your lines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, very good, very good. I can't wait to Pretty start pie. to read those books. <laughs> I have read the short story, and and that when the guy finds out that his wife's cheating on him, like he becomes the bitterest, uh-huh. the psychological stuff, and yeah, and the, the whole point of it is he couldn't get just a quantum of solace. He couldn't get just a little bit, a little mm, bit of peace, a little yeah. bit of peace, and he takes it out on her. It's about as dark as this movie. Good one, Agent I. A lot of people don't gravitate towards a quantum of solace, and he was able to put that in a nutshell in about less than two minutes. So impressive. Now, yeah. who's in the mood to go to South Africa? 
Hello Rookie Agents, Agent R here once again, this time with my thoughts on Quantum of Solace. The two years between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace were certainly a time of great excitement amongst Bond fans. After the extraordinary success of Casino Royale, Bond was suddenly a character in a series of films that the general public was really interested in once again. Daniel Craig's performance had gone down really well with audiences and critics, and as Bond fans it was really exciting being part of that whole atmosphere of anticipation for the next 007 movie. And all the stills that were coming out, all the clips and trailers looked great. As soon as it came out, I went to see it with a few friends who weren't really Bond fans, but uh, they were excited to see it as well. And when the film was over, it kind of felt like a bit of an anticlimax to the excitement that had been building up over the last year or two. My friends certainly weren't impressed with the film, and I think for a while I was in a little bit of denial. I was like, no, it must have been a great Bond film. It was Daniel Craig, sequel to Casino Royale. How could it not be great? And I think it took me another couple of viewings in the cinema to kind of really digest the film. And in the end, I didn't really feel like it was a great Bond film. I thought it was a decent film. But it kind of just felt like an extended ending to Casino Royale. I didn't feel like the plot of the film itself was was very memorable. I didn't feel like the characters were anywhere near as memorable as those that had gone before in Casino Royale. Daniel Craig was still great, of course. And it was a film certainly built around a lot of action scenes. But like many Bond fans, I wasn't a fan of the shaky cinematography and really rapid editing. The exception to that being the opening car chase scene. I do really enjoy that sequence. But from then on, the action scenes, they get a bit confusing and they really feel like they're trying to keep up with the Bourne Ultimatum, which had come out the year before. But you know, the film was a direct sequel to Casino Royale and it tied up a few loose ends from that film, which, to be honest, I didn't think really needed to be tied up. I certainly didn't like the idea that Mathis was was killed off. And I didn't know it at the time, but unfortunately this was to be the last appearance of David Arnold as composer for the Bond series, to date anyway. I think he made a huge contribution to the five films that he worked on. I only hope the producers have the good sense to bring him back again in the future. And in the end it was difficult to know where to place Quantum of Solace. It wasn't a top-ranking Bond film, which certainly was a disappointment after the extraordinary brilliance of Casino Royale. But nonetheless, I was still very excited to see where the series would go next. And I'm looking forward to returning with my thoughts on Skyfall. So until then, goodbye for now. Well, Agent R pretty much put it in a wrapper of everything we talked about. (laughs) The one thing he pointed out that we didn't touch on is, yeah, this is David Arnold's last musical score. We will not hear from him again for a while, because I know they already named the composer for No Time to Die. I don't remember what his name is off the top of my head, but I know it's not David Arnold. What do you feel about the score? I still think that Casinos is stronger, but this one's not bad at all. That's my quick impression. Jason's nodding his head. I think he's feeling the same. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's see. We only got a couple more left. Let's get with Agent Voice over in Texas and see his his musical trivia for tonight. And I haven't listened to this one yet, so I'm playing the game with you guys. Uh Oh, here we go. Hey, y'all. This is your man in station TX, Royce, in lovely San Antonio, Texas. It's about that time again. It's time for What Made You Sing That? What is the line that precedes the following in Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys? I'm going to try to keep this one simple because, to be honest with you, I still have no idea what they're saying in this song. So good luck on this one. Anyway, the line is, a man on your side. One more time, a man on your side. All right, do you have it? 
Uh, that's the question from Agent Voice over in Texas, and it is what comes before it. And I think I know this one simply because this song is on Guitar Hero, and I've played it many, many, many times. Mm. The song think, actually made it on Guitar Hero? Yeah, it's fun to play, too, with all mm. the guitar riff. I'm pretty sure I know it, but anybody else want to play? I don't want to No, dude, it. go for it. Go for I, it. I think it's a phone on the table is the lyric before it. So uh, if anybody else has any other votes, then I'll play the answer. A phone on the table, a man on your side. Yeah, Someone I, that I think you that's... think you trust is just, just another, another way, way to die. I like that lyric, though. Someone you think that you can trust is just another way to die in this yep. game. Don't trust the wrong person. Don't trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> was that Lisa Keys singing? Yeah. It was them harmonizing. Mm-hmm. Like her harmonizing is best. No, I, just before. I thought I heard somebody singing. <laughs> no, oh, oh, that yeah. was Jason. Right. <laughs> that was MJ posing as. Uh, <laughs> Possibly Dale Arden. All right, let's get this answer. The answer to what precedes a man on your side is a phone on the table. Once again, a phone on the table. The entire chorus is a door left open, a woman walking by. A drop in the water, a look in the eye, a phone on the table, a man on your side. Someone that you think that you can trust is just another way to die. All right. And hope y'all got that one and we'll catch y'all next time. Nice. That's fun. I like that, that he's carved a niche out with that. It's a fun little. Well, it's fun because I got it right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we we all having right. fun. It's really frustrating when we get it wrong. <laughs> Welcome to my world when you get it wrong. <laughs> Two more guys. We got Agent Z. You know, he's a classic and we've got the junior agent. So I'm just going to do these in the order in which they're on my phone. Let's go to the Netherlands. Hello, rookie agents. This is Don Zuiderman calling in from the Netherlands for your podcast on Quantum of Solace. The topic for my contribution are the James Bond locations. Typically in Quantum, Bond travels all over the world. He starts out at Le Garda in Italy, going to Siena, also in Italy. Then he returns to the UK to have his briefing. And then Bond flies to Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince, where he meets Camille for the first time. And then he's back in Bregenz, Austria, for the opera, where he exposes quantum. He then meets Mathis in his villa in Talamone, again in Italy, before he flies over the Atlantic once more to La Paz, the capital of Bolivia. And then in the final scene, Bond confronts Vesper's ex-boyfriend in Kazan, somewhere in the middle of Russia. All in all, Bond gets around in this film. Now, looking at all the James Bond films, you could divide them into two groups, globetrotting, versus one or a maximum of two solid locations. For instance, in Dr. No, you have Jamaica. In Thunderball, you have the Bahamas. And in You Only Live Twice, you have Japan. Whereas in Die Another Day, for instance, you have North Korea, Hong Kong, Cuba, the UK, and Iceland. And then in The Living Daylights, he goes to Gibraltar, Vienna, Morocco, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And in Moonraker, you have Africa, the US, Venice, Rio, the Amazon, and outer space even. So, my questions for you are... 1. What are some of your favorite James Bond locations? 2. Were you lucky enough to have actually visited a few? Three, where would you still love to go? And four, do you have a preference? Globetrotting versus one or two locations per film. Now, 
Now, I know that actual filming locations quite often differ from locations being portrayed in the film, but I don't want to go into details too much. Okay, good luck, gentlemen. This is Don Zuiderman, signing out. All right, let's start with last question first. Jet set versus more focused in one or two locations. Jason. Jet set. Pat. So what was the question? Delvin. <laughs> I would rather have one location. Pat. Jet set. Okay. I'm a one location guy, so. We're split. We're split. Anybody here? I, I, it's giving me the absolute opportunity to run off at the mouth. I've been to a lot of these locations. Delvin, I know you've been to Vegas. I have been to Vegas, yes. Uh, any other locations you're fond of from uh, and Paris? You've been to the Eiffel Tower, just like I've, I've been I've, to Paris. Uh, you didn't jump off of it. Though. I've been to Kentucky. There you go, Goldfinger. <laughs> been to Afghanistan. True enough. Not as glamorous as one thought. <laughs> no, <laughs> it didn't look no. like that. No, it didn't. Vegas. Pat's been to Vegas. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Vegas. Got to go to Vegas. I know. I've been to I Vegas, should. but uh, I'm, I'll jump in. One of my favorites that I went to was the Arecibo Satellite Dish in Puerto Rico. That's where the climax of GoldenEye. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. I really like being there. I've been to a ton of them, to be honest with you, though. You know, Jamaica, Bahamas. I've been to both of Jason, I've been all over Europe to various places that Bond's been to because, you know, growing up there. So I, I don't want to run off the mouth. I'll just stick with my favorite, which is uh, the Arecibo, I think, is one of my favorite feathers in my 007 cap. Jason, 007 cap feather? Well, I was going to say the Ice Bay in Iceland where they filmed the A View to a Kill. Right. Opener. Right. But that was actually supposed to be Russia. So I think that's against the rules. <laughs> I give it to you. It's a filming location. To me, that place is just magnificent. I mean, that's it's cool. stunningly beautiful. Awesome. Good question, Agent Z. Pat, we got to get you to more locations. We got to get you to learn the locations in the movies while we watch them. <laughs> <laughs> We all need to go to the Honor Majesty Secret Service up to the... Yeah, Peace Gloria is high on my list. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. We all need to do that. We're going to do a Peace Gloria trip, the four of us. We're going to do a Sanchez's Mansion down in Acapulco trip. <laughs> Just four of us. It's going to be awesome. Pat, check our <laughs> bank account. What do we got? Yeah. $75. Uh, we got the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now. <laughs> it's coming. All right. Oh, I lied. We actually have two more, but I'll get to that. Junior agents, let's find out how our rusty agents are doing. Good evening, agents. This is Rick from the Junior Mission Control Center, also known as Jeff and Rick Presents. I am providing this week's field report on the film, Quantum of Solace, from the junior agents stationed in the Pacific Northwest. As usual, I surprised my fellow junior agent Jeff during the recording of our regular podcast, unpacking the power of Power Pack with a pop quiz in the middle of our script. His answers are not prepared. Back in the story, the kids are heading out the door for swimming lessons. Insert slam. Leaving the parents alone in their bathroom. And Jim wants to wrestle, hint, hint, you know, kind of in quiet and peace, in solace, maybe just a quantum of it. Pop quiz, hotshot. Shit. The Quantum of Solace is the second Bond film to star Daniel Craig, and is seen by many to be one of the least liked of the franchise. Yeah. This critical feeling is because this movie focuses more on quick cuts, straight action, and very little characterization. Even so, the film delivers on action-packed thrill rides and a continuation of the story which began in Casino Royale. Personally, I kind of liked it, but I do recognize that it is not a very Bond film. But all of that has nothing to do with what I want to ask you about. So, Mr. Rusty Agent, the title of this film is very unique especially since it starts with the letter Q. 
and yet never features anyone from the Q branch. Can you name for me five other movies that start with the letter Q? <laughs> I'm going to get shot at the end of this one. I know that much. <laughs> five movies that start with the letter Q. Yes. Hold on. I need to check my phone for something real quick. Quantum of Solace 2. Beep. Quiet Place? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that there... Oh, in fact, Lance Henriksen was in this. It was a Quetzalcoatl. No, it was actually Q, which on the back it then says Q stands for Quetzalcoatl, but the only letter you'll get out is Q before you die, or something like that. Uh, and yeah, Lance Henriksen's in that, I'm pretty sure. So there's two. Editor's note, the movie Jeff is talking about does not feature Lance Henriksen and is called Q, the Winged Serpent, but I give it to him. Quigley Down Under. There you go. Love that movie. Start hitting the dregs now. Oh, uh, The Quick and the Dead. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It starts with a T. No, but... that's fine. We'll accept it. Yeah, and then uh, number five with a Q. Put the gun down, Rick. Put the gun down. You can do it. I know I can. Don't stare at the barrel. It's so so <laughs> large and intimidating. <laughs> Let's see. A movie with a Q. There wasn't a Qbert movie, was there? No, there was not. There was not. Was there a... Okay. For time's sake, I'm going to yield. I know I'm going to eat a bullet here at the end anyway. Well, there's Quiet Man, the oh, Queen. Oh, Quiet Man. But well done on getting four <sighs> out of five. Quiet Man. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Why couldn't I get that? Because you're a rusty agent. I am a rustiest <laughs> of agents. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Training, as always, will continue in the field until our junior agents are able to handle any situation. Thank you for accepting our reports. Until next time, junior agents, a.k.a. the Rusty Agents, signing out. Oh, those guys are always good for <laughs> We were, I know we edited this part out, but we were just like screaming movies that start with Q through that whole listen when we first. Quicksilver, man. Quicksilver. I think we're always <laughs> screaming at Jeff. <laughs> I screamed out quickly down under and Jeff got that one. So I feel like we have a bond now. I love that movie too. So he's not much quit, but he's very much dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we have one final send in, but it's a little bit lengthy. So what we're going to do is we're going to tack it onto the very end of this episode. So once the podcast is over and you hear the outro music and there probably will be some outtakes right after that at the very tail end, we're going to hear from Agent Daly. That's Ryan Daly from many great podcasts in the Fire and Water Network. And actually, we're going to hear from Ryan's wife. We're going to hear from the Lady Daly, who has a lot Dame of Daly. The Dame Daly. Daly, I like it. She has a lot of experience with the Siena Italy horse race that really confined in the streets horse race. That yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, I think she's been to that and she's got oh. thoughts on that. So she's going to give those after the end of the show, just because it's kind of a lengthy clip, but worth checking out if you want to know a little bit more about the Siena horse race. So we got some bonus material. Bonus material from the Lady Daily. And we thank the Daily family for thinking of us and including that uh, in our show. Yeah, thank you for being a friend. So that will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agent. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find the Longbox Crusade on www.longboxcrusade.com. You can find us on the Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Longbox Crusade. You can also find us on many, many podcasting apps out there because we have podcasts everywhere. We're everywhere. We've got podcasts <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Back to you. 
Jared. <laughs> well, thanks, fellas, for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to you listeners who tuned in. And oh, by the way, for you listeners who tuned in and made it all the way to this part of the show, guess what, guys? Listener <laughs> giveaway. <laughs> I was yard sailing last weekend, and I found a copy of Quantum of Solace on DVD. Whoa. It's got some other person's name written on it. It's clearly from a yard sale, but I think it's still good and will play. You know what? Who wants the pride of owning the second, What's the possibly third-hand copy of of Solace? Well, it'll be third-hand by the time they get it. That's right. It used to belong to Tony and Christie. It's written on the, ah. tea, on the case. I bought it at Tony and Christie's yard sale. I assume it was there. This could be your copy of Quantum of Solace directly from the yard sale artist himself. So it's it's like a full circle thing. If you've made it this far, comment on our show on Twitter using hashtag yard sale quantum. All right. Hashtag yard sale quantum. We're going to see everybody who uses that hashtag because we appreciate you listening all the way to the end of the show. We'll pick a random winner to send that DVD to. It'll be your prize, your third hand prize. Get fired up, people. And of course, if you want to leave us a question or a comment on this or any other episodes, you can contact the show on Twitter at OHMS pod. Email again is OHMS pod at outlook.com or you can hit up any of us hosts here directly on social media. My contact is at yard sale artist. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all yard sale artists. Jason. I'm at Weasel Skull on Twitter and Jason Ulbrich on Facebook and Instagram. Pat. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Delvin. And you can find me at DEE underscore RAY 1977. The next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will feature Skyfall. And guess what, boys? Bond goes rogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And remember, On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. Whoa. <laughs> Generic lyrics, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> when I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all. That's all. You better shut those dogs up. Yeah, I told those dogs, you better shut up. <laughs> Do this, Pat. We'll be back. We'll be back with right, the dogs. Um... <laughs> right back. Corals. Watch out for that. Stay away from that. <laughs> Monster coral. They're coming for you. Full speed ahead. <laughs> I dare you to tell your wife to fetch your shoes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on. We can wait till the dogs are done. You're screaming bloody murder over there. Yeah, what's happening? Is there, are you being robbed? <laughs> you may no. want to get up out your basement. What's going on? My wife's home, so. Go potty. Hold on. I'll be back. Oh, <laughs> the wife is home. We've all been there. Did I put the smut away? Is it still paused on the TV in the living room? <laughs> You did, did, I, did I clear the cookies? <laughs> Y'all are amateurs. First of all, like once you're done, <laughs> you immediately have to turn it off. Two, use the private one. Like yeah, that's right, the private browser. Yeah, use the private browser. Your private browser. browser. Your browser for mining. Because she ain't got to know. <laughs> <laughs>
we're old enough to remember when you had to like it was like you'd be driving to work, you'd be like, did I leave the, the VHS tape in the player? <laughs> <laughs> With that, I'm going to hand it back over to Jason. All right, and I will flip it to Jared. Or should you want me to flip it to hand it over to Jared? Want me to pass it? Go ahead, dude. We want to smack it up, flip it, and flip rub it, it rub down. It. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> you were talking about um, Mathis. Yes. You said Mathis, didn't you? Yes. I'm an idiot. That's okay. Yes. Outtakes. Oh, double O player, Pat. <laughs> How many of these have we done? 22. Uh, <laughs> and I have the whole music for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You can also find us on, I don't know where I was going with it, but. <laughs> find us online at www.longboxjay.com. I said that, yeah, I said that in the beginning. So okay. I, I think I, that's where I screwed up first, but um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find us. The chat. The chat. We chatted. We chatted. Mm-hmm. I just now started the broadcast. We just took a huge chit. <laughs> <laughs> Jason gave you gold outtake within three <laughs> seconds. You You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, MI6 rookie agents. This is Ryan Daly, long time, first time, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Angela Drew, who is just jumping at the chance to offer some contextual background information on the polio horse race that is shown at the beginning of Quantum of Solace when Bond is chasing the double agent through the streets of Siena. Angela, you have been to Siena, you spent a lot of time there, and in particular, you know a lot about this horse race. What is the polio? When is it held? Where is it held? And who are the people involved? So it's a medieval horse race. A American kind of metaphor for it would be that it's the, the Super Bowl and the World Series at the same time, and also just like every fair and like exciting thing that you could possibly think of. It's an incredibly complex cultural, social experience. There's actually, there's two races every year. There's one on July 2nd and there's one on August 16th. There are 10 horses that are representing Contrada running in this race. And there are a total of 17 Contrada in the entire city, but only 10 get to run each race. What is a Contrada? Is it like a district or like a, a sort of sub-region? Yeah, it's a neighborhood. And they originally were kind of um, constructed around where people lived, right? So you lived in the, the area. And the names of them kind of connect to the livelihood of the people who lived there. You, you see this in the film that there's these flags waving, right? And like those are the Contrada colors. You said there are 17 Contrada in Siena. Only 10 of them are in each one of the races. How is is that determined? Is there a playoff situation or who determines who gets to actually race? So there's a little bit of a fair rotation here. If you're part of the seven Contrada that didn't run in the last polio, you're definitely running in this polio. And then to figure out the next three seats, they draw randomly. So by luck, a Contrada could be running lots of polios in a row, but you'll at least run every other one. So when this whole thing begins, 
there's, um, you know, they, they figure out which Contrada are running, like they pull those three and, um, they start preparing the compo, right? That, that square that you see where everyone's standing, that's all stone and they bring in tons of sand and they pack it down and they turn it into a racetrack. And in fact, you can kind of see it within the movie that some of the turns they're making aren't necessarily like the turns you would see on a normal racetrack. They're no. kind of making like hairpin, like right turns in this. Yes. And, and I don't think you can see it in any shots in the movie, but like they have got formula one racing pads <laughs> on one of those corners because one of those corners is like a killer corner. And, and it really is just this like, you know, days and days and days of like, they're marching through the streets, parading and chanting and, and you see part of the parade in Quantum of Solace, you, you see um, individuals in the, this traditional kind of medieval dress, like they, they twirl flags and they, like, they train like kids to do this. And like, they get to march in the parade. Um, I have all these videos of people like marching under my apartment window, like, like spinning their flags and like, and the streets are really narrow. <laughs> so it's like, and I, I remember once, like at, not once, like several times, but like one particular time, like some some friends and I were trying to go out for um, gelato, and like we could not get where we wanted to go because we kept getting trapped by huge crowds of people and horses, right? Like you'd come around the corner, there'd be like a huge crowd of men surrounding a horse singing, um, and you're like, you can't get around that. Like you got to go find another way. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the polio begins, they, they draw what Contrada are going to be. And like, th- this is really the only time that the polio isn't rife with corruption. They have this big stage set up in, in front of the Piazza Publico and they have children who draw from one bucket a ball with the color of a Contrada on it. So they rent, like they pull it out and they're like, okay, I've got this Contrada. And then from another bucket, they pull the name of a horse. And that's how the Contrada get their horse. It's drawn by chance. So they have sort of a pool of eligible horses. Yes. But they don't have, it's not like a Contrada is breeding a specific horse to be their polio horse. No. You've got a group of horses just kind of bred to be the best race horses. And then it's essentially a luck lottery of which Contrada gets which horse. Yes. Yes. So the, the horses that are entered are like their career race horses. They're not just like random horses. Um, <laughs> they're bred to, to race and they race in other races. And their owners kind of bring them in and, you know, enter them into the polio. And the horse doesn't actually like the Contrada's match with the horse and the horse has to run the race. The Contrada hires a jockey and the, the jockey they hire depends on the type of horse they got. So this is like this is where things get really fun. If a Contrada pulls a really good horse, they're going to spend a lot of money to hire a really good jockey. If a Contrada pulls a bad horse they're going to hire a jockey who's good at kind of causing trouble, especially if like, and the other thing is like the Contrada all have rivals. And if they, if a Contrada gets a kind of a, a horse, that's not great at the polio, but their rival gets a really good horse. They'll start going into sabotage mode <laughs> and they'll start bribing other Contrada. They'll like hire a jockey that's known for causing trouble. Like they go into sabotage mode. And then if you get a horse that's unknown, then you kind of have to go in the middle. You have to like, you know, get a pretty good jockey, but you're not going to go all out because you don't want to use the money if you're, you're not going to win the race. Um, once they have their horse and their jockey, like they're under like 24 hour guard. So they can't be like sabotaged or bribed. 
The race itself has a three-hour parade. You see a part of that in Quantum of Solace, like the, the three-hour parade. And then the race begins. But the, the interesting thing is that it usually takes a couple hours for the race to actually occur. They have a very precise way of lining up the horses. Like once they're, they're all out there, they, they, they draw lots and they draw order. This is the last moment that all the bribery happens as well because you don't know who's going to be in the starting position. Like everyone gets these interesting positions. So they line up nine of the horses at the starting line. And of course the horses like, you know, will turn around or turn this way or that way, or they'll get like, you know, kind of upset at another horse that's being like, you know, bumping into them. So like they, they keep wiggling around. And then the 10th horse is the starting horse, which is standing behind them. And when everyone's in line, that horse can go whenever it wants. And once that horse crosses the line and knocks down the rope, the rest of the horses can go. So if you get drawn and you're the starting horse, you're in a really bad position to win the polio because you're in the back and you're on the outside of the track. But you're in a really good position to make a ton of money. Because if you pay a contrada that's in the starting position to start when your rival is facing the wrong direction, you know, that horse is going to have a hard time winning the race. <laughs> but the, the funny thing is like, you know, everything, everyone has to be lined up in the right order when the race starts. And if anyone's out of order, then it's a false start. So for really for two or three hours, you're going to have false start after false start and like the horses aren't lining up and the jockeys aren't behaving. And it just goes on and on and on and on until finally that starting horse goes through, everyone's in the right order and then they go and it really is 90 seconds. And you would not believe the screaming <laughs> of the 90 seconds. And it really is just so exciting. It's three laps. The positions change quite a bit. And actually, this last polio this summer, a horse lost its jockey on that really tight turn, and it won the polio. The horse can win the polio without the jockey. I was going to ask that, like <laughs> before when you mentioned that, the contrada, I guess, is not disqualified when the jockey falls off because no, they don't it's need up the to the jockey. horse to finish the race. It's the horse. Right? They do not need the jockey at all. <laughs> uh, and getting back to, you sort of alluded the how intense these rivalries are. I think you mentioned to me, like, the worst thing for a contrada is not to lose the polio. It's for your rival to win. Yes. It's horrible for your rival to win. And it's even worse if you come in second to your rival. <laughs> because it's not, it's okay if you come in last in the polio. Because if you come in last, that means you didn't have a chance of winning. If you come in second, that is the ultimate shame because you could have won. And if you come in second to your rival, it's like really serious. So when I was in Siena, I had the opportunity and the honor to spend time with people in the Onda Contrada. These Contrada, they have their own little churches and they have their own museums. And really like polio is is actually a big banner that's painted by an artist. And like, that's what you win if you win the polio. And that's it. Like, that's what you win. You win this banner and you win bragging rights. The winner of the polio spends a ton of money. And the loser of the polio makes a ton of money from bribes and such. <laughs> but nobody wants to lose the polio. Everything's like 
backwards and on, on its head. The individuals in the contrada, they're baptized into the contrada. It is very secular, but there's there's all of these religious elements in it. They bless the horse. They bring the horse um, before the race into their chapel and they bless it. And if it um, if it has an accident while in the church, they see that as good luck. Um, there, there's just these elaborate parades. There's these, um, these dinners. I I went to a dinner on Via Giovanni Dupre, like it's down the entire street. They shut down the entire street and like the whole street is lined in tables and there's hundreds of people having dinner together. You know, if you win, it's even worse, right? They're, they're, they're like having all these huge dinners. They're marching through the streets. They wear pacifiers because they see it as a rebirth. But the year I was there, right, I'm, I'm with the Onda people and I'm, you know, I bought the Onda scarf and I had it tied um, around, like around my neck and hanging on my shoulders to show my, like my Onda pride. And Torre is Onda's rival and Torre won the polio and Onda came in second. Oof. Yeah. And we actually like couldn't go back to the contrada because we had to respect that they needed to grieve. Like it was serious. Like we couldn't go back. They needed to like they needed to be alone. It was incredible. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah. Then the last thing before we go, it seems like Sienna would think it's really cool that, you know, the major American movie studio is filming this James Bond movie in their city during this big event, but maybe not because they take this race so seriously. Yeah, they they take this very seriously, and the Sienese were not impressed (laughs) by um, having these cameras and this recording, like, happening during their polio. They just, like, they were in the way. They weren't respecting, like, (laughs) they're just, like, they're mad. Um, And really... The authentic polio shots are just like shots that were taken, you know, during the polio. But in any of the recording that they did in Siena, they, they, they did it not during the polio, right? Like they, they got extras and they set it up because like there was no way they were interrupting this already like incredibly chaotic time filming a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they don't care about that. Um <laughs> There's a lot of little stuff that watching it, like when they, I think when they were running through the combo, the guy that Bond is chasing like shoots into the crowd and like shoots a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they jump over the barrier into the racetrack. And then it looks like they run into the Piazza Publico and it's like empty in there. That is not what the Piazza Publico would be like in the polio. Like they have paramedics in there. Like it's a whole like mini field hospital set up in there because like the people out in the compo are like seriously standing in the hot Sienese sun for like five hours. And it's very normal that people pass out. They, they just pass out from dehydration and exhaustion. And, and it's very routine. Like they're just people lift them up. It's like you're at a concert, right? They crowd surf them over to the barrier. The paramedics pick them up and bring them into the Piazza Publico and treat them. So, so really the, the woman that got shot, there were paramedics very close by. So that's good for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Hopefully she's arrived. And that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future. The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. <laughs>